When I was in high school, my summer job was to work at a lumber yard. And over the years of working there, I worked my way up the ladder far enough where they gave me the job of being a delivery truck driver. Um, this wasn't a, a truck that was big enough to need a CDL, but it was also bigger than your, your average pickup truck. Um, it was the kind of truck that uh, the bed or the back end of it was able to lift up so that when you made a delivery, instead of having to you know, unload all the lumber by hand, you'd get the truck into the right spot, lift up the back end, and it would all slide right off. Well, there was one time when the customer that I was delivering to asked me to deliver their lumber into the backyard for their deck, which was a request that I had gotten quite often. But this time was a little bit different because it had rained quite a bit the night before and the grass was damp and as you stepped, even stepped onto the lawn, it felt pretty soft and I asked the homeowner about it, like, are you sure you'd like me to drive this truck through your well-manicured lawn? And he responded, because I'm a high school kid, it'll be fine. I'm like, okay, all right. So I got in the truck. And as I was driving on his lawn and getting closest to what I could see was the wettest spot of the entire yard, I started to think, Maybe everything will be just fine. Well, that didn't last very long because very quickly the truck started to slow down and the tires started to spin. And so I put it into reverse because there was no room to maneuver anywhere else. I was between the house and a fence and the wheel started spinning. I got myself, you know, spinning backwards, then tried as best as I can without ruining the transmission to rock it forward again into drive. No luck. The wheels just kept spinning. And although they're the ones that had given me the permission to drive on their lawn, I just want to be clear about that. As I'm sitting in the cab, with the only thing that I really could do is to press the pedal and to go forward or backwards, but that's all I really could do in that moment, I felt totally hopeless and helpless being stuck in their yard, spitting out grass and making a big old pile of mess. In fact, uh, we left that truck there overnight. And I was picked up by some other employee at Wix Lumber, and we went to, to get it back when the grass was drier. Wondering, have you ever been stuck? Stuck in traffic? Stuck in line? Has it ever felt like you've been stuck in life? Have you ever felt stuck in your marriage? Like, you feel like you're just surviving instead of thriving. Where it seems like there's the same old topics that cause disagreements and the same old past events that make it so difficult to move forward. Have you ever felt stuck in your job? I know some of you have because you've told me how you feel, right? Have you ever felt like, you know, grateful for a job but it's not exciting or fulfilling, and it certainly doesn't touch on the passions that you have for life and for yourself. 
Have you ever felt stuck financially? I mean, like, as far back as you can remember, you've been living paycheck to paycheck. And you have this anxiety over wanting to give your family the lifestyle that you've always thought that you'd be able to give them but haven't been able to. Have you ever felt stuck in your physical health? Have you ever felt stuck emotionally in your emotional health and your mind just keeps spinning and spinning like tires in a yard? The, the, the reason why being stuck can be so frustrating is that you know you aren't where you want to be, but you're not quite sure how to get there. Like me in that truck. And so this first fill-in for this morning is one that really, I think, sets the whole tension around the entire series, or to say it a different way, it's the reason why this series might relate to you. It's, it's this, that one of the most frustrating places you could be is not a location. One of the most frustrating places a person can be is stuck. Would you agree with that? I hope so, because the entire series is based on that. <laughs> I knew you would. See, here's what, here's what I know. If you keep doing things the way you've always been doing them, if you keep viewing things the way you've always viewed them, if you keep thinking about things the way you've always thought about them, you're going to stay stuck. It's like pressing the gas pedal again. The last 10 times it didn't work. Why would it work this time? So the whole idea behind this series is to begin to help us through God's word to begin to look at things in areas of life where we feel stuck in a different way. Instead of just pressing the gas pedal again, unpacking a different way to view things, different way to think of things. And different, maybe not because you've never heard of them, depending on who you are, but different because they're not the ways that come naturally to us. Different because it's not the things you're going to hear from the world. Over the next four weeks, starting next week, we're going to unpack very specific areas of life where you might feel stuck. I've mentioned some of them already. Today, I get the awesome ability, presence, uh, blessing of being able to just kind of give you the overriding principle and thought process that will permeate through this entire series. It's a different pathway, a different way to think than what we currently are. And, and to get us to, to get there, we're going to be unpacking just two verses from Romans chapter 12. Uh, the book of Romans is written by a, a famous pastor. Uh, no, not Pastor Matt. Uh, pastor Matt's not that famous. Um, his name is Paul. He, uh, he lived in the first century. He met the resurrected Jesus. And based on that, his entire life changed. He started planting churches. He helped save through his, the message of the Savior thousands of people. He wrote parts of the Bible. And he wrote a letter to some Christians in Rome called Romans. The first 11 chapters 
if I could summarize it all with one main theme, would be being very clear what Jesus has done for them and for us. And then starting with chapter 12 through chapter 16, starting with the verse we're going to look at today is like the second half or the second idea in the book. The primary theme here is, well, based on all that Jesus has done for us, what does that inspire us to do? What is that, how does that inspire us to live? So let's begin with Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, and that's because he is connecting the first 11 chapters to now what he's going to talk about. I've just told you all about what Jesus has done based on that. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's speaking specifically to people, again, who know what Jesus has done for them, who are Christians, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper Worship. There's three things I want to look at in this first verse. The first one is highlighted there. It's the word sacrifice. So the entire Old Testament, that time frame from creation until the, the point that Jesus was born, there were sacrifices done throughout that entire time. God commanded people, some of you know this, but God commanded people to, to do animal sacrifices, bulls, goats, sheep regularly and often. And there was two primary reasons why they were instructed to do sacrifices or the killing of animals and then burning them. The first is because God wanted them every time they took one of the valuable sheep or lambs or goats from their herd and then took it and not to get too graphic but slaughtered it, took a knife, let all the blood out, and killed life to recognize how serious sin is. That there needs to be life to make up for sin. Sin is a big deal. And even in an agricultural society like they would have been in, to take an animal that you raised, and then just to slaughter it, to burn it. That would be a big deal. The second thing he wanted them to realize through these sacrifices is that it wasn't just about the animals. The lamb that they killed was a foreshadowing to the Lamb of God. That was a, a nickname for Jesus. He would be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. The cross is an altar where Jesus' blood was shed. And through the, the killing of that innocent life of Christ, he did what all the animal sacrifices in the world could never really do because they were only a picture. He paid for the sin of the world, your sin and my sin included, and now offers heaven and forgiveness as a gift. And you know what else is true? We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. I think it would have been pretty hard getting the lease here at Lakeville North if we regularly sacrificed animals, right? It just seems weird to us, doesn't it, right? We don't, we don't need to do that anymore. But instead, 
Here's what Paul says all the way back in the first century, that instead we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Or instead, our lives are a sacrifice to God. The way we think, the way we act, what we do is an opportunity to give back to God, to follow his will. We're worshiping him. Now, when someone tells you what to do, do you like that? Not usually. Like, I'd rather just take out the garbage than have someone tell me to take out the garbage. What's the difference? Why is, that, why is it a different attitude? Well, you don't need to tell me. But if I just do it on my own, there's something. You just don't like to be told, right? So there's something about this. Like now, your life is a living sacrifice that can grate on us a little bit. Something about it that just in our hearts that we just push back on a little bit. I know why part of that is. Because of the messages I and you probably are hearing every day. You know your life? It's all about what you want and what you desire. And you live to please yourself. And now here comes God and he's saying, no, no, your life is a sacrifice. And it's all about me. And it's about what God desires and what God wants and how to help or please other people even. And it can feel at times very constricting. And it can feel at times like God's some dictator in heaven taking away my fun and making my 20s a lot less enjoyable. But that's when you're missing the key to the sacrifice. It's in the verse. Did you see it? I think it's yellow now or will be. It's all in view of God's mercy. If you don't understand what Christ has done, living for him is going to to be really, really hard. But when you and I reflect on what he has done for us, that, that lamb of God, that sacrifice that we talked about, living for him is still difficult. But it makes sense. Living for him, I'm not going to do it perfectly. But I, I start to get it. It's a response to what he has done for us. Our second fill-in starting to lead us to get some traction and getting unstuck. Because it has to do with our view. A brand new you, because that's what God has given to us, a new life, a new hope. A brand new you should mean a brand new view. In view of God's mercy. When we've been changed, our view can and should change as well. A brand new you will mean a brand new view. And now the writer gets really specific. That is Paul in verse 2. He says, so, you're going to be a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Um, the Greek word for conform there um, 
is the word picture for like taking a mold, putting something in it, and then what comes out? Well, you know what you're going to get. You know, if you think back to your Play-Doh playing days, right? You take the plastic mold, you put it, you know, you put the Play-Doh in, it's going to look exactly like the mold. Did you know the world has its molds and has its patterns? The world has its idea about what your marriage should look like and what it should feel like. And it's not always, if hardly ever, what God's direction is. The world has its own idea or mold about purpose in life. It has its own idea and mold about finances. It has its own idea and mold about your schedule and about priorities and about just about every single thing there is. And Paul says, we need to be aware of that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do you know why he needs to say that? Because our natural tendency is to conform to the pattern of the world. Would you agree with me? <laughs> I heard that. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Um, let's take some things that are more trivial. Um, how many ladies were wearing yoga pants to uh, the gym 10 years ago? None. I don't think they existed from what Google says. How many do now? I, I wouldn't say all of them, but I will say close to all of them, right? Women, yes, right? We, we do this with, with design, interior decorating, what our houses look like. You know, it's, you know why the Parade of Homes is such a big deal? Because we're all lemmings, right? And if that's what's popular, then that's what I got to have. And there's not necessarily always everything wrong with that. I have some good friends that are interior decorators, okay? It's, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but the point is bigger. We so often have to be what everyone else is. Why do you like a certain pair of jeans, even though they don't fit well? Because everyone else likes them, right? We so easily conform with minor things. We also conform so easily when it comes to much deeper things, when it comes to much more important things. And what Paul wants us to realize is that that happens. And what he wants us, you to do, is to stop in your tracks and to think, am I doing that? And what should I do about it? Especially if it's leading me to be stuck the pattern of the world. Well, the verse continues. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed. Transform means to be totally changed. Transform means to, to, to have something that's, that's brand new. And there's two things I want you to know about transformation. The first thing is going to ease your mind. You cannot transform yourself on your own. It's not something you need to do on your own or by yourself. Um, we had two baptisms today. 
one in the first service, one in the second service. It got me thinking about a verse that was very appropriate for our message today. It's from Romans chapter 6. Six chapters earlier, Paul writes, We were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism into death. So what that means is not that we were physically buried with Jesus, but in a very real way, when Jesus died, it's like we died because we don't have to die or suffer hell anymore. By faith in him, he's done it. We don't need to. Our punishment was with him. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may do what? Live a new life. Live a new life. Live a new life. You know what? When I was a kid, I had it very much emphasized to me the most important part of the resurrection, which was because he lives, I will live forever in heaven. Because he lives, my sins are forgiven, and I have an inheritance waiting for me in heaven. And that's the most important part of Easter. But what I think needed to be emphasized to me a little bit more is that the resurrection starts before heaven. That the new life begins before eternity. And Paul clearly tells me that because Jesus raised from the dead, I live right now. I've been given the opportunity to live a new life because of what Jesus has done in me and can do through me. God, the Holy Spirit, is working in those who believe. And so transformation is not something that is totally left up to ourselves. But God works in us and through us. But the other thing I want you to recognize about this transformation is that it still is a process. And it's not always easy. That although we've been given a brand new life, we don't always live in it every day. That's that old sinful nature in us that continually gets us to go back to the old pattern of living, the old ways to listen to the old mold and the old pattern of a life that I used to have instead of the life that I've been given. So, Our third fill-in is this. Getting unstuck in whatever area you're thinking of and that we'll be talking about over the next four weeks, getting unstuck likely has more to do with change in you than change around you. Because you know what our, our natural tendency to think is? That if I change my circumstances, then all of a sudden I'm going to feel unstuck. No. 99 times out of 100, that doesn't happen. And when it does... It happens for a short period of time. Sometimes change around you can come after there's been change in you. And those things can kind of go hand in hand. But just merely changing the circumstances around you will not get you unstuck in the long term. It's the change we've been talking about, this, this transformation, the change in you more than the change around you. And then Paul gets really, really specific and practical when in the last part of this verse, he says this. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Why did he need to tell us to do that? Because we do. But instead be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. The mind. It started in the heart. 
is God changed that. And then the part of our body that we need to to continue to work on the most is right here. You see, the way that you think affects the way that you feel. Like, if you think that your value comes from what you've accomplished or how people around you think of you, you're never going to feel valuable because there's always more to accomplish and more people to impress because what you think affects how you feel. What you think affects your decisions, what you do. If you think that the purpose of life is to have fun and to make it all about me, the decisions that we make, the choices that we make, will have little regard for anyone else or God, but instead just be through the filter of what makes me happy. And that, you know what that is? That's a, a ticket to eventually getting stuck. What we think affects how we feel. And so Paul says that we need to renew our minds, that part of getting unstuck is, is right here in our minds. You know what that, that word renew means? The word picture is, is, is the same word as you'd use in the Greek if you're talking about renovating your house. When you think about renovation to the house that you're living in, what kind of thoughts do you have? Like, it stinks, right? It's uncomfortable. It always takes longer and costs more than you ever thought it would. It's dusty and things that are supposed to be in place because I'm type A are not in place, right? But the result of the hard work can be amazing. And sometimes you can't even recognize what you started with. Renewing your mind renovating your mind and your life is much in the same way. It's a long process. It takes hard work. It's messy. But the results, with God's help, sometimes you can't even recognize the new person. And it starts right here with God's help in the mind. So I wanted to get real practical as, as we close today with a few things. I want to unpack how this works. And, and I just kind of picked a, a topic. That you, you could fill in the blank. But let's say someone is struggling with your own. Let's say someone is struggling with anxiety. That's where they're stuck. Because literally the wheels of their brain are spinning like a truck's wheels in a muddy lawn, Right? And and let's say the anxiety is over wanting to protect my kids or wanting to, um, yeah, keep them protected or healthy or whatever it is, right? So that stuckness that you're dealing with, what Paul is telling us is the first step is to renew your mind. I think we have that up here. So how do you do that? Well, you tell your mind and heart by reading or having people speak into you what the truth is. Because likely, whether by accident or on purpose, you've been conforming, at least a little bit, to the messages of the world. 
And so what does God say about this particular topic? And he says, don't worry. He says, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. And on and on and on, right? And you continue to go back to those verses. That renews your mind. What happens next is then your perspective starts to change as you think about those words. And I don't need to do it all myself. And I don't need to control every situation. And again, there's tons of different examples we could use for this, right? And your decisions start to change and you start to let go a little bit. Not because you're not a good dad or a good mom, but because you're trusting God. And then what happens? Third thing, you start to gain traction. And it doesn't happen overnight. and doesn't happen 100% right away necessarily. But you begin to feel a little free and less stuck. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us to do here. Believe me, I'm not under the suspicion or the notion that everyone who leaves here today, even if you understand what Paul is saying, is going to all of a sudden all be unstuck because I know it's a process and I know there's ups and downs and there's seasons that are good and there's seasons that are bad. But in those bad seasons, in those valleys— Come back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Be reminded of the process that he gives you. Because more than likely, we've been conforming instead of being reminded that we've been transformed. And it starts right here. Our mind is a powerful thing. So three quick things. Be really quick. Bear with me because I need to give you practical ways to continue to renew your mind. The first way is to feed it or to feed your mind. Because if you don't think about what you consume, what you're going to consume is what the internet says and what your neighbor down the street says and what movies say. Like, that's how we feed it, our minds, on accident. We need to be intentional with feeding our minds consistently and daily with truth, God's truth. The second thing to do is to free it, to free your mind. What do I mean by that? To to put yourself in situations where you are more free from the temptation to follow the patterns of the world. See, we all have different areas of temptation that are particular to us. Some of For some of us, it's anxiety. For some of us, it's negativity. For some of us, it's self-centeredness or achievement to the extent of, you know, denying important things. Uh, For some of us, it's lust, it's greed, it's discontentment. I don't know what yours is, but when we identify it, we can then begin to stay away from messages that get us to lapse into it. That may be staying away from certain websites. That may mean rearranging your schedule. This is hard. It may mean finding a different group of friends from which you receive direction from. You feed it, you free it, and then you focus it. And the focus comes when you realize that there is a much bigger picture than just the here and now. There is eternity awaiting this life. And may I, may you begin to make decisions in line with the new life we've been given, mindful that earth is short, life is short, and eternity 
is what it's all about. May we continue to be heavenly focused as we consider the bigger picture that we're a part of. So we could just step on the gas pedal more. You've tried. Reverse, not working. Forward, no. Maybe we just need a brand new view. And today, I pray, is a first day towards some traction that God the Holy Spirit will work in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that points us to our Savior, your Son, Jesus, and that instructs us in how to, in view of your mercy, to live for you. Lord, there's people here today that have come maybe very down and burdened because they've felt stuck and maybe pray today that the Holy Spirit has opened their mind to consider a different way, a different path, a different way to view things. And Lord, may now you continue to work in us because we cannot make any change or get unstuck at all without your help and your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.